ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hello, I'm Clint Jasper. It's great to have your company as we meet the people and visit the places that make up a big country. This week, we're joining citizen scientists and researchers looking for signs of an elusive and endangered bird in the Queensland tropics. We'll check in with a family who are adjusting to their new life as caretakers of a sprawling 10,000 hectare property in a remote part of the country with the nearest grocery store a three-hour drive away. And we'll hear from some of the young women who are taking on the once male-dominated role of stock work and proving they're more than capable of the job. There's nothing that women can't do on a station anymore. Um, it's, it's not what gender you are, it's how good you are at your job and how, you know, how passionate you are about it and how much you enjoy it, how much satisfaction you get from it. We'll meet some of those young ringers and hear just how much satisfaction they're getting from their jobs working with animals and machinery on a cattle station in Western Queensland. That is coming up. First today, we're heading to the Riverland region of South Australia, where an internationally significant wetland on the River Murray is brimming with life. It's still full of water from the flood of last summer, and native birds are flocking to the site. Sophie Landau has the story. As the sun prepares to light up a new day, nature's alarm rings out. It's the sound of yellow-throated miners and pied butcher birds singing their songs. Walking through the Chowler floodplain north of Renmark in South Australia's Riverland, ravens and crows caw from above. Black-tailed native hens and wrens scurry below. It's a familiar sound to floodplain ecologist Grace Hodder. It's a raven. (laughs) They're yellow-throated miners, those ones. Grace works for the state's Department for Environment and Water, managing the ecological monitoring here at Chowler. We're at the Coomble Swamp. It's a 300-hectare wetland and there's pelicans everywhere. There's so much water, it looks like a sea in the middle of the bush. This swamp is usually dry, but it got filled up during the 2022-23 River Murray flood and it's still full. The fact that a place like this is usually dry, it got wet during the flood, water was pushed right out to these black box trees that really needed a drink. And this swamp will hold water for a significant amount of time, now several more months into a drier period potentially. It's just really heartwarming. It's something that gives me a little bit of hope, I think. (laughs) Grace loves to count and identify the flocks. I really love the spoonbills. They're really graceful when they forage. I love the redneck avocets, so they're the medium-sized waders, and they can be in flocks of sort of up to 100 or so birds at a time. And when they forage, they forage in time, so they swish their bills through the water to disturb mollusks and um, crustaceans and things in, in the bottom of the lake. And they do it all in time, so they look really magical when they're foraging. So. The flood was tough for many river communities, but Grace says the environment reaped the rewards as native bird species went on a breeding frenzy. Wetland birds will come from really long distances, from other habitats like inland lakes, to use the floodplain during a flood. And then they bred during the flood. 
because a flood will promote breeding because there are all of those environmental cues. So what we're seeing now are all of the new recruits, so the little teenagers and the juveniles from the breeding event during the flood. So I've recently done surveys here at Coomble um, and I counted over a thousand birds all up here over three mornings of surveying the swamp and over 30 different species of birds. So, yeah, it's quite a lot. Grace says this data helps to inform decisions around environmental management. Chala is part of the uh, Ramsar wetland of international importance, so it has significance internationally. And so when we see it get a good drink like this, everything just comes to life and it's really exciting. Floodplain ecologist Grace Hodder. Twitchers on SA's stretch of the river may notice an abundance of feathered friends flying through the bright blue sky. Floodplains are being treated to an additional drink as extra flows arrive from New South Wales and Victoria. It's promoted even more breeding, with purple swamp hens, mallee ringnecks and whistling kites making themselves seen and heard across the river system. In the bush when you're you know, by the river and you're sitting there and there's... Yeah, I know. See, it's sort of saying, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Nah, it's cool. But yeah, you know, like... Marora and Naranjeri man Uncle Barney Lindsay listens to the bird life here at Martin Ben Wetlands in Berry. Tuning into the sweet sound of river birds singing brings him peace. It's an amazing feeling I get hanging out in nature, so to speak, and just sitting there, no other sounds but the birds and the wind and, and sitting down in the sun and and just enjoying the moment, uh, you know, being alone in the bush and being with nature, God's creation, and it's just it's magic. <laughs> Uncle Barney can identify the calls of countless species. And there's so many different birds that got different, uh, you know, whistling calls. And now you can hear, you know, like in the background, these different kinds of birds. Yeah, I can hear butcher bird, minas, and also reed wobblers and crows in the distance. The Bureau of Meteorology says an El Nino event is likely, so the filling floodplains are a welcome sight to Uncle Barney, who knows there could be a dry cycle on the way. He says with weather patterns changing, it's important to keep Australia's birds chirping. Everything, you know, like the cycle of life, every, you know, every bird, animal, they got their part to play to keep the ecosystem and everything, you know, ticking over. Everyone got to play their part throughout the world. That leave the trees and you know as much as vegetation as they can. Otherwise, global warming will be more worse than what it is now. With its eye-catching blue and red markings and horn-shaped crest, the southern cassowary is a distinctive sight in the rainforests of North Queensland. But in their southernmost global habitat in the Paluma Range National Park north of Townsville, it's rare to catch a glimpse of the endangered species. Just 16 adult birds are estimated to roam the tropical rainforest, but for the first time, a citizen science project is shedding more light on their population. 
Lead researcher Ren McLean says it's the most in-depth cassowary survey ever conducted in the region. Uh, we were listening for vocalisations. Um, we were also looking for footprints because uh, cassowaries are very mobile species. They're um, constantly on the move um, and they're also quite heavy. So they do leave imprints um, if they have the right substrate. So if it's, it's moist enough um, or sandy enough, they will leave those prints. Um, we're looking for scats. Scats are particularly, you know, give you a good insight into what they're eating and where they're, um, where they're foraging. We found the scat of, um, of a juvenile bird, um, which was really interesting, and it, it just had one species of fruit in it, which has yet to be identified. Hi, I'm Rachel Merritt, here in the Paluma Range National Park, north of Townsville. A team of 40 researchers, citizen scientists and locals spent three days scouring 80 kilometres of remote bushland tracks here for signs of the flightless bird. We got three detections um, by three different groups of vocalisations. Um, quite an unusual finding, um, but I'm, I'm very 100% confident with two of those and the other one, I'm 80% confident that, that the surveyors heard a cassowary. I, I was on one of those groups and the reason I'm confident is because we had the, um, basically when you, you hear these low frequency calls, they um, sort of actually jiggle your belly. You can actually feel them vibrating um, your body cavity. And we both, uh, two of the groups got that sensation and everyone, everyone on the group, we cross-checked everyone and everyone was like, yeah, I felt it in my body. Plant ecologist Barbara Stewart said the seasonal availability of food could be why the species was less abundant in Paluma Range compared to their northern habitats. They do eat a lot of fruit. Um, it's a bit varied beyond that, but fruit's a really important part of their diet. They'll eat fungi, they'll eat insects, they'll eat a range of other things. And how bountiful is the Paluma Range for these kind of, of fruit that the cassowaries thrive on? It's quite important, but less so. I believe that Mission Beach um, is regarded as an area that's really good for cassowary um, food species, and so you get um, a density of birds down there. Um, here, I think you'd expect the populations, whatever is here, to be a bit sparser just because the fruit resources are not quite so prolific, uh, but there'd be a lot of factors involved in that. Volunteer and citizen scientist Jim Tate has long been concerned the southern cassowary population in Paluma hasn't been thoroughly studied. I live in the region uh, down at Hen Camp Creek near Rolling Stone and for a while I've been concerned that um, the southern end of the southern cassowary population hasn't got the attention it deserves. You know, people just usually assume they're a wet tropics animal um, located further north, forgetting that Townsville actually has wet tropics extending to within 30 k's, you know. Top of the Blue Water Range is the southernmost cassowary records and that's 30 k's out of Townsville. When you talk to people up in this forest, just about everybody has got their cassowary story uh, in terms of having to come across one. But they're people that have spent, you know, a fair bit of lifetime up here poking around in the, in the Pluma Ranges one way or another. He was part of a survey group that believed it heard the call of the cassowary. It was almost like the slow croc bark. It's that tuk 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 
is. But um, but it it almost sounded like a tree arching, you know, like a big uh, eucalypt arching in the wind. But there was no wind, and it responded at least two or three times to my call. So. Um, Pretty convinced it was, but I would love to catch a glimpse of it. Ren McLean says they're now calling on the local community to bolster their data collection by reporting current and historical bird sightings. To survey for cassowaries, you really need to do the legwork, and so it means traversing long, you know, large areas. Citizen science is so important here, and, and it's particularly suited to the Paluma Range. Um, there's around 100 kilometres of walking tracks, and cassowaries are shown to use tracks. So... Um, the chance of um, detecting them on those tracks, especially for people that are regularly walking them, such as bushwalkers and um, and bird watchers, but also um, you know tourists who are coming here and locals. Of course, the locals um, are essentially important to this. Um, they just give us so much more data if they report their findings. So we're setting up a system um, that people can just use a QR code to scan straight to a, um, a reporting log, which is just a simple lot of information, um, what you saw and whether you took any photos and the location. It really um, against, brings a sense of ownership for people to go, these are our, these are our, you know, our birds in our backyard and, and we care about them. We want them to thrive and, um, and prosper for, in, for the long term. Rachel Merritt with that story from the Paluma Range National Park north of Townsville, where a research project is underway to survey the endangered cassowary population. You can see more on that story on the ABC website. Just search for A Big Country. I'm Clint Jasper with you for A Big Country. Still to come, we'll meet the couple who packed up all their belongings and hit the road to give their three children a very different type of life on a remote property. And brute strength was once prized in agriculture, now technical skill, ambition and a level head are in high demand and being found in the form of young women. Reporter Victoria Pengilly visited Isis Down Station in Western Queensland, where women make up half the workforce. My name's Lauren Brockhurst. I'm 21 years old. I grew up on the Sunshine Coast and then when I graduated from school, moved to Glengyle Station in the Channel Country of Queensland. After that, I spent two years on Jubilee Downs in the Kimberleys in WA, and then this year I've moved to Isis Downs. Um, I remember it was probably midway through my senior year at school, and I knew I was keen to go ringing, so I started just applying with so many companies and sending my resume and that to as many stations as I could find but I only ever had the one interview and I took that job and I loved it. And what's the best part of your job? I love the diversity in that like each day you get up and there's something different to do you're not doing the same thing every day but probably my favourite job to do is process weaners. A lot of people hate it but I don't know I just love it it's fun. (laughs) You're always busy and achieving something I guess I love that. My name is Kelly Shotton, I'm 26 and I'm from Rochester, Victoria. Originally I finished an electrical apprenticeship and then decided I'd try my luck on a station and did a bit, a little bit of research, found a few friends and they recommended CPC. Had a look on the map and the website was really good, had all their, all their locations mapped out across Australia and ISIS Downs looked like it was in the best location for me to start my career in agriculture. And you'd never worked in agriculture before you came out here? No, the closest I'd gotten was 
uh, sheep farm we had um, growing up until I was about 12, but I can't say I was ever much help there. So yeah, did did four and a half years, four years as an electrician and had done some business admin work. I'd been in sales at Telstra. Um, yeah, tried, tried my hand at a few things until I kind of found something that I'm really passionate about, which I think I've found here at ISIS Downs. So why did you decide to do ag? What was the, the thing that sparked you to try something different? Uh, I've always been one to obviously need to be doing something with my hands and university wasn't for me. So I was always like wanting to be outdoors and those kind of things, those office jobs just sent me absolutely crazy. So yeah, after a couple friends that had gone off and done it and a couple local kids, I was like, had me kind of heart set on it. I reckon halfway through my apprenticeship, I kind of had the idea to to shoot off at the end. And what is it about agriculture as a woman sort of looking at the industry that makes you excited? What sort of opportunities are there out there for women? Oh, with abundance. You could you can grow your career from station hand to leading hand to head stockman all the way up to management. Like there is literally no boundaries. You can then go off into the sales side of things. You can work with the stock, you can try your hand on like the veterinary side of it like there are so many different opportunities here that I did not even know exist I thought I was just coming up here to be a station hand and then you get here and you see all these jobs and all these different things that you just didn't kind of click oh someone actually has to do that like yeah maybe that could be me like so many different pathways that you can take literally endless. My name is Anna Cochran. My husband and I are the managers of Isis Down Station for Consolidated Pastoral Company. We run at about 14 full-time staff. Uh, this year we have an, uh, an even split of 50-50. So we've got 50% of our staff are, are female this year and 50% are male. Uh, and the age is quite um, broad range, I guess. Uh, we've got, you know, our eldest our, is our ball runner, who's about 46, down to our youngest 18 year old uh, first level one station hand. You know, I think a balance of genders and different personality styles and different um, upbringings really contribute to the way in which our team work. Uh, so this is the first year we've been exactly 50-50, but we've been very close to it for the last couple of years. We are very big on employing for value. So we sit down every year and we, we say, right, what's important to us as managers and what type of business do we want to, to run? So, you know, what's really important to us and what we think contribute to running a great station is having a good work ethic, enjoying what you do. So having that element of fun, you know, communication is really important to us and a sense of generosity. So, you know, we have a bit of a rule that no one finishes until the last person finishes. So you might be finished your task for the day but if you walk past the shed and someone's servicing a motorbike or changing a tyre we all jump in and, and help and and we sort of run with the philosophy that there is no job too big or too small for anyone so anyone can do anything on the station and I, I think that helps really build that cohesive team. There's nothing that women can't do on a station anymore. Um, it's, it's not what gender you are, it's how good you are at your job and how, you know, how passionate you are about it and how much you enjoy it, how much satisfaction you get from it. Yeah. Nearly. Yeah. Nearly. Making Nearly. a cup of coffee isn't as simple as flicking on the kettle anymore for the Downs family. First, they have to collect the wood to heat their stove. Hayley Downs says life these days is generally unrecognisable. The closest form of store of some sort is 
over two hours away. Uh, we go just over three hours away. That's the closest Woolworths to get our groceries at. Uh, the hospital, the closest hospital that would be able to do anything is over three hours away. Two months ago, Ms Downs and her husband Caleb with their three children aged five, three and seven months old sold up, leaving their life by the coast near Caboolture to move 650 kilometres away to near the Carnarvon Ranges. Located on the edge of the outback, the nearest town is Injun and the closest landmark is the Carnarvon Gorge, where the landscape is rugged and mostly occupied by cattle graziers. No shipping container, no storage, no nothing. We own nothing. Everything we own fit in our van, in our car. They now live in a two-bedroom wooden cabin on a remote cattle property and are caretakers. Mr Downs also does odd jobs for the station manager. He says the role is a world away from his previous job in child safety that began taking a toll on his home life too. You work all week so hard just to create this, pay the mortgage, keep things going and moving forward just to do the day-to-day -day. and you miss real, out really on those opportunities and those moments of just doing, doing life in general. And I think a lot of people can relate to that in terms of just um, you might be present in your body but you've got your mind thinking a million other things. He says his experience in child safety, where the number of young people in need kept growing, showed him how critical raising his own family is. I can't be helping or trying to provide all the support for families if I can't even be present for my own. And I want my, my boys and my, my daughter to be men and women who have the right morals and the right values and can be that that is... Not, not what I'm reading and what I'm seeing. To get inspiration for their next chapter, the couple began watching videos online of families travelling around in caravans. Mr Downs says one quote gave them the confidence to turn their lives upside down. I said, you only get 18 summers with your kids. And as at that moment, just, man, it just gripped me by my heart. And I'm just like, and, that, and knowing my own history is that, you know, 18 is being generous, so by the time you're 14, 15, you're pretty much out doing your own thing anyway. And, and Jackson, he's going to be six this year, and that's, that's nearly halfway, and that's terrifying. And so that's why we made the decision, what we did, just to really take the opportunity and realise that this small window, which can seem massive at the moment and exhausting because we've got three young kids and the sleepless nights and everything like that. But I understand that this, I will be wishing this back. There's no better playground or classroom than 10,000 hectares of bushland for five-year-old Jackson and three-year-old Oakley. Me and Oki play in the really deep water. And find all cows in there and just go and find all wallabies and all big ones. Young boys are attracted to mud and water wherever we go, no matter how cold it is. Ms Downs is from Cairns and her husband grew up on a small cattle property in America. Both have never lived so remote. We do a lot of exploring the place together because there's 25,000 acres here, so there's lots to do. The boys are just in love with all the sticks and the dirt. Ms Downs is usually a paediatric nurse and while she's still technically on maternity leave, she's now learning how to homeschool her two boys. I 
never had any intentions of homeschooling my kids beforehand, which I was a bit worried about because that was not me previously. In all honesty, I'm loving it. Adapting to a life of isolation has been a lesson for everyone. Everything's a learning opportunity, right? So I was doing a bit of work um, at the other station and with this we were moving some dirt and found myself getting bogged and had to end up walking 10Ks to get back to the station house to try to be able to get contact just because you'd got no cell phone reception. But even on the walk back, it's just like, you know what, this is pretty awesome. Every day, the young family are becoming more self-sufficient and making memories to last a lifetime. The original plan from what we were wanting to see was see confidence built in, in our children. But what I didn't realise is that being in suburbia, the comfortability and things of that actually had withdrawn our own confidence. And, and since we've been here, I've just seen that explode in, in all of us and what we're capable of doing or even putting ourselves out to do. We felt more homely in this tiny little old two-bedroom cabin than what we did in the house that we you know, put hours of effort and planning and hand-drawn ourselves. We're loving it. Definitely the best decision we've made for a long time. Meg Bolton brought us that story with the Downs family from their new home in Queensland's remote Carnarvon Ranges. You can see more of their story and all of the stories you've heard on today's program by heading to the ABC website and searching for the A Big Country program page. That is the show for the week. Thanks for listening and bye for now. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.